0: I pay homage to the Buddha I pay homage to the Dhamma I pay homage to the Sangha So first I want to say hello to our our small and comfy bunch of people today I thought this might happen as we come upon Christmas and people start having a lot of plans for their weekends and during the week and so on. You know Christmas is a is an interesting time for me. I've spoke I've spoken about it in the past how I'm one of those uh, December babies you know my birthday is the day right after Christmas and so I've had uh, that sense of uh, what I might call birth miss my whole life. I don't think I've ever gotten to, experience Christmas as its own distinct uh, celebration in the West. It's always been this thing that always got mixed up with my birthday growing up to such an extent that when I was very young, I don't think I even really knew the difference. I Very small, probably you know four or five years old, I thought maybe the tree and all that stuff was for my birthday. I really didn't know. One of the things I think about is how this, this time of year is known as a, a happy time a, a festive time you know you'll you'll hear that this is the happiest season of all and you know it works its way into our our mindset so much that it even shows up in in interesting ways uh recently i came across this little comic uh, it's called savage chickens i've never heard of it before um Except for when I, I found it online because some Buddhist friends had been sharing it. In fact, uh, Reverend Kusala at, at IBMC also shared this as well. And this is one that was put out for the holidays. And uh, it's just a, a single, it's just a single frame, and in it we have this like little chicken, who I'm, su- I'm assuming is one of the main characters in this comic, asking a question to Santa Claus. And the chicken says, "Hey, Santa." Any advice for the Christmas blues? And Santa Claus says, Well, tis the season to be jolly, but as a Buddhist, I believe you f- uh, must first find your inner jolliness. You know, and it's one of those playful ideas, like it'd be really funny to think of, of Santa Claus being this uh, this secret Buddhist this whole time that no one had bothered to to ask about. Like, well, Santa, what are your views on the holiday? And oh, it turns out, He's, uh, he's inviting people to find their inner jolliness, which I'm sure was just meant to be you know, a, a, a clever turn of phrase, a little joke, but in my eyes is actually uh, quite accurate, this idea of inner jolliness. And I'll, I'll move aside from the jolliness and just talk about uh, inner happiness for the remainder of the talk, but this idea that uh, true happiness is, is an inner quality. when I think back to all the various Christmases and holidays this season, you know, I've known a lot of people who practice other religions and, and celebrate other things during this time of year, you know, be that Yule or, or Hanukkah, or, you know, there are some Buddhists that even have a, a holiday early December, you know, I think it's like a, a Bodhi day or something like that in some traditions. So this is for many people, this, this festive time when it's, uh, at least in our in our side of the world, the the darkest time of the year. It's when the the days are are shortening, the nights are lengthening, and we get to experience uh, a little bit of cold. You know, in some places more, in Los Angeles less. I think I saw for the forecast last time I checked. Christmas Day itself is going to be a nice, comfortable seventy-six. You know, uh, a nice shorts-wearing Christmas. But there is this. This desire to be happy around this time of year. And when I look at all of the ways that people in my life have gone about that happiness, you know, be they friends and, and family growing up as a kid, I get this feeling of this kind of um, forced happiness, forced merriment, this, this tendency to, to want things to be a certain way, to try to make things a certain way to be happy. And what I mean by that is uh, the tendency with at least this holiday, you know, because I come from a, a Catholic family around Christmas to fill up the time for literal weeks, not just the day itself, with a lot of food, a lot of presents, and a lot of typically alcohol was a big part of my family growing up too, was especially on Christmas Eve. And these ways of, of trying to make this a happy time externally, when this uh, inner quality, this inner jolliness but inner happiness that was joked about in this in this comic is something that I think that those of us who are drawn to Buddhism, those of us who practice Buddhism and those of us who call ourselves Buddhists, are in the business of, of doing of. of finding ways for inner happiness. At least this is something that, that I've, I've really thought for a long time, uh, particularly within my tradition of, of Buddhism. Uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, I practice uh, Theravada Buddhism, and specifically I've been drawn to the forest traditions. Predominantly practiced in Thailand, but also in Sri Lanka, there are still forest monks who who uh, spend time meditating and things like that, and I tend to be drawn to that, but I also have the scholastic end, too, where I like to really dive and, and delve into the suttas, into the, into the Pali canon. And in my tradition, as far as I understand it, it is suffused with teachings on happiness. And I thought that that was a fairly... I suppose a fairly universal concept but time has shown me uh differently i remember one time that there was someone who was uh, attending one of the talks at, at ibmc and i was talking about this this inner happiness this true happiness that we're trying to to cultivate and i remember this this man who was attending the talk being being kind of frustrated and and uh, during the, the Q&A was saying, well, like, well, I am, I'm not trying to be happy. And said it with such such force that I, I remember being taken aback by it. And I wasn't really sure exactly what then he was seeking and practicing Buddhism. And I'm not even really clear on how the interaction ended. I think I might have just left it. But there, there was this sense of like, no, 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 no. Buddhism is not about happiness. And I thought, oh, interesting. And then later on, uh, as as a a student working on my uh, ministerial degree, working on my Master of Divinity, I happened to be in a cohort of students from different Buddhist traditions who were looking to get a degree in ministry and chaplaincy. And we had people practicing different kinds of Theravada, people practicing different types of Mahayana, be that Zen or or Pure Land and, and whatnot. And I remember having a conversation with uh, one of the Zen students, and again, I was talking about this quality of of happiness that they were looking to develop, and I I saw this this Zen student taken aback, and he goes, happiness, I don't, I, I wouldn't call it that, I don't think that's what we're after, and we tried to settle on a word that perhaps he might like better, and I think we found something like contentment, but... In any case, happiness is what I want to focus on today, defining true happiness as I understand it within the Pali Canon and the Theravada tradition where we do seem to talk about happiness a lot. The term itself in Pali is uh, Sukha, and it can be translated as happiness, it can also be translated as uh, like calm or joy or bliss. Um, it, it can have a, a variety of meanings, but happiness seems to be the one that we just seems to really connect all the ideas together. And so, happiness is what I'll use today. One case where the Buddha goes at length on on happiness is within the uh, the Kalama Sutta, and this is a a very popular sutta. Uh, amongst those in the West, because it's the Buddha talking to uh, people who are uncertain about what paths are, are true, what paths are correct, uh, which is a good sutta for us to focus on in the West, because uh, in the same way that the, the the Kalamas were people surrounded, bombarded with various uh, spiritual and philosophical and and wellness techniques and methods and traditions, we find ourselves in this same sort of situation where uh, we're really uh, inundated with with messages, with people trying to help, or perhaps not being all that helpful, but giving us all these messages on on how we should live our lives, what we should be doing, uh, what the purpose of life is, what what le- leads to a good life, and so on. So we're we're a lot like the Kalamas in that respect, and so the Buddha. And talking to them brings up uh, important points that are points that if you've been studying Buddhism for a while will be familiar. The Buddha says, when you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the observant, these qualities when adopted and carried out lead to welfare and happiness, then you should enter and remain in them. And for those of us who who study the Dhamma to practice it, to put it into practice, we're often familiar with the first three. You know, we we look at skillfulness. We look at whether things are kusala or akusala. We're very particular about the kind of actions we do in body and speech and mind because we're seeking out what is skillful. These qualities are blameless. This is something that I, I spoke on, I think, sometime earlier this year, that uh, we can talk about blamelessness, but we can also talk about harmlessness. That we want to make sure that our actions are are beneficial to ourselves and others. These qualities are praised by the observant. This is also something that I discussed. I think, pretty sure I discussed this earlier this year too. The idea that the things that we do, we're trying to participate in the the habits of the noble ones, the way of life of those who have attained some measure of awakening, whether they be a stream enterer a uh, once-returner, a non-returner, or an arahant. You know, they, there's a certain way that, that such people live, and a lot of the Eightfold Path is, is training the mind, but also emulating their behavior, practicing it to the point of perfection. But then there's this other quality that I think gets uh, a lot less uh, attention, I think, in the West, which is this idea that whatever it is that we're practicing, we test it, we look at it, we observe it to see that when it's adopted and carried out that it does lead to welfare and happiness and then when we do something that meets all of these that these actions are skillful they're blameless they're praised by the observant or the noble ones that when they're carried out lead to welfare and happiness these are things that we enter and remain in that this is the path that we're working on we're working on something that's for our long-term welfare and happiness and this, in the case of the Kalamas, is the Buddha talking to people that weren't even students of his. He's just giving them advice in general, like, hey, like if, if you're going to make sense of your sort of interior life, your spiritual life, or whatever we want to call it, the sense of what's happening in your mind and your heart, and you want to make sure that what you're doing is worthwhile, this is a good measure to have. And it just so happens to be that these same measures when we apply it to the Eightfold Path are met, you know, we see that as we continue to put these into practice, we see that what we're doing is skillful. We see that as we follow things like the like the precepts and really work on on removing obstacles and hindrances in the, in the mind that it leads to actions that are also blameless, harmless that we're doing things that the buddha himself would have lauded us for doing and all of his disciples that have attained some measure of awakening would also applaud us for doing and then there's this other aspect that when we look inside and see what qualities we're, we're manifesting what qualities we're bringing up into ourselves do we see that we're better off for having done them are we well because we're putting this into practice and also are we having a measure of happiness? One of my teachers, the way he talks about it, is that we, uh, we train ourselves to be uh, connoisseurs of happiness. And I, I love that phrase, you know, this, this idea that there are many ways to be happy in this world, a lot of things that we can do that, that bring us joy, that, that bring us bliss, that bring us satisfaction and contentment, that bring us happiness. But a lot of those things... When we really observe them, we can see that uh, by, by doing them, we might be harming others, or harming ourselves, or doing something that really, in the end, is, is, is ephemeral, not, not lasting, not, not permanent, and not secure. And so we can start turning our minds towards something more secure in terms of our happiness, looking at these other aspects. And I would say that the measure of what counts as true happiness also, plays very well into what is skillful and blameless, and what is praised by the observant. In the Dhammapada, for example, there's a whole chapter on on happiness, where the Buddha expounds at length how the path and also its goal is a happy one, something that that we that we do and and it lifts our our spirits so to speak it really soothes us and you know gets into all the the cracks where the pain is and 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 fills it up until until the pain isn't there in fact when when we talk about uh dukkha in 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 buddhism you know we're we're talking about suffering but we can also translate it as stress and we can see the 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 contrasting terms there of on the one hand Dukkha as suffering and stress, and sukkha as happiness, as joy, as bliss, contentment. And in this passage, in this chapter rather, of the Dhammapada, the Buddha says, How very happily we live, free from hostility. Among those who are hostile, among hostile people, free from hostility we dwell. How very happily we live, free from misery. Among those who are miserable, Among miserable people, free from misery, we dwell. How very happily we live, free from busyness. Among those who are busy, among busy people, free from busyness, we dwell. How very happily we live, we who have nothing. We will feed on rapture like the radiant gods. Winning gives birth to hostility. Losing, one lies down in pain. The calmed lie down with ease having set winning and losing aside. There's no fire like passion, no loss like anger, no pain like the aggregates, no ease other than peace. Hunger, the foremost illness, fabrications, the foremost pain. For one knowing this truth as it has come to be, unbinding, is the foremost ease. And here, ease, the translator is is translating sukha as ease, but we can also translate as happiness. For one knowing this truth as it has come to be, unbinding, is the foremost happiness. Freedom from illness, the foremost good fortune. Contentment, the foremost wealth. Truth, the foremost kinship. Unbinding, the foremost ease, or the foremost happiness. Drinking the nourishment, the flavor of seclusion and calm, one is free from evil, devoid of distress, refreshed with the nourishment of rapture in the Dhamma. It's good to see noble ones, happy their company, always. Through not seeing fools constantly, constantly, one would be happy. You now, by not seeing fools, we can translate this term as also one who is Uh, ignorant or deluded, essentially those that would uh, be in our lives and try to influence us away from the path, try to influence us into maybe bad habits from our past as well. So through not interacting with these people constantly, one would be happy. So to not let ourselves be uh, dissuaded from the path, dissuaded from the practice. For living with a fool, one grieves a long time. Painful is communion with fools, as with an enemy, always. Happy is communion with the enlightened, as with a gathering of kin. So the enlightened person, discerning, learned, enduring, dutiful, noble, intelligent, a person of integrity, follow one of this sort as the moon, the path of the zodiac stars. So we can see in this chapter of the Dhammapada that just how much this quality of sukha is is important. How it's something that pervades the path. You know, I, I've I've shared many times the idea that the the Buddha taught something that he described as good and admirable in the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's not something that's that's meant to, to hurt. It's not something that's meant to, to be a a struggle. And if we approach the path that way, then it might be a pointer to us to, to start shifting the way we practice and to shift uh, who we uh, practice with. Uh, we wouldn't want to practice with those that uh, teach us that the path is a miserable one or the, the path is a painful one or the path is a, a hard one because the idea that happiness or in this case ease is something that we can feed on and be nourished on is something that the buddha talks about again and again in the pali canon you know we see passages here how very happily we live we who have nothing we will feed on rapture like the radiant gods and specifically the buddha there is talking about the rapture of sitting in meditation of, of, of practicing good qualities of the mind good mental qualities the feeling of, of getting rid of the defilements and the hindrances of the mind, that, ah, that sense of refreshment that happens as we, as we develop good qualities. So this ends up being something that we can really take delight in, this practice that we're doing. Drinking the nourishment, the flavor of seclusion and calm. This one pa- passage in particular, one is freed from evil, dis- devoid of distress, refreshed with the nourishment of rapture in the Dhamma. It's important, I've found, that you know, in this season of, of gift-giving, to reflect on the gift that is the Dhamma in our lives, and to take nourishment in that. You know, when the Buddha talks about hunger as this, this bad quality, what he means is that the way our minds work, the way effluents work in the mind, is that they're always reaching outward and trying to be satisfied in some way. You know, in, in Buddhist uh, cosmology, we talk about the, the hungry ghosts, you know, these, these big, hulking spirits that have these tiny little mouths and this deep emptiness inside them, this deep hunger, and they're trying to, to feed themselves through these, through these tiny little mouths and they can't and so they they constantly just wander around aimlessly hungry and we can look at that and go wow that'd be a really unfortunate rebirth for one of us to have or any of us to have but in many ways that's that's kind of the what well, we might say the the status quo of things that we are wandering around in fact for those of you who are familiar with buddhist Cosmology, we t- we talk about the existence we're in as samsara, that no matter what low he- hell realm you're in or the highest heaven realm here amongst humans, animals, whatever, this is all samsara, and we tend to think of samsara as a as a location. But when we translate the the term, it, it really does mean like like a like a wandering, like a like a like a just a an aimless wandering around and, and that's that's something that isn't a place, it's, it's more a, a state of mind as we wander around blindly looking for nourishment and we're being told by the Buddha that there is nourishment right here in the Dhamma and I think it's important to talk about this positive side of, of Buddhism and of the Dhamma because we tend to talk a lot about the, the negative aspects we tend to focus on, for example, the, the fact that there's greed in, in the mind, the, that there's animosity in the mind, that there's ignorance and delusion in the mind. We focus on the fact that uh, this Sangsada that we find ourselves in is, has a lot of dukkha. It has a lot of suffering and, and stress. But we can, in that, forget the, the other side of it, the, the solution that the Buddha provides you know, he does talk about the fact that there is stress in the world. He doesn't say that the world is stress, but he says that there's stress in the world. But he also says that there are causes of stress that we can begin to understand and then truly understand. And that there are the ways that we we cease stress, the way stress ends. But we can talk about that in a positive way, which is something I don't hear people say a lot, which is it, it isn't just that we end dukkha in this third noble truth, it's that there is a way of causing happiness. If, if happiness is the absence of, of stress, if happiness is the absence of dukkha, then we have sukha that we're developing in the path. And then that gets to the fourth noble truth, which is the path itself. This path that we practice of right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. This is something that we do that is nourishing. One of my favorite examples is to think about how a, a farmer nourishes the soil, putting down fertilizer, which this time of year is something I'm more cognizant of. Every time I go for a walk, there's someone putting manure out somewhere on their lawns or something. So the, the air is filled with, for me for the, with this reminder of, of uh, the importance of nourishing the soil. And so that's what we're doing with the Dhamma is that we're nourishing the soil of our minds. And that's something that in itself is is rapturous and pleasant, delight like delightful. You know, when the Buddha teaches about meditation, he he says that there are these two qualities, Piti and Sukha, which means rapture and bliss or happiness in this case, that are things that we're trying to develop first through seclusion and then through concentration. And then a lot some people will say that because in later stages of of meditation, the Buddha doesn't talk about piti and sukha anymore. He talks about them as things that are kind of set aside, that the path itself doesn't really give a lot of importance to happiness. But I think here, in the passage I shared from the Dhammapada, from this chapter I shared, we can see that the Buddha talks about arahants and, you know, enlightened, liberated people as those who are happy, always. And being surrounded by people who are cultivating the path, the Kalyanamitta that we have, They can also increase our happiness. And we can delight in the company that we have. So that brings us to one of the ways that we can try cultivating the the happiness within ourselves, which is to start from the outside. And one of the things that we do is like today, listening to a Dhamma talk, but also to have a sense of, of community. You know, the Buddha talks about it here. You know, the language is strong, you know, in this translation, like living with fools. One grieves a long time. Like, oh, well, he's calling people fools. That doesn't sound nice. But like, really, it it means someone uh, ignorant or deluded, which is just to say that there are people who are like us because we are we tend to live in a state of ignorance and and delusion and we practice the path to hopefully alleviate that, to grow in our discernment, to grow in our wisdom. But that means that we're often in situations where we're the ones working on that. There may not be other people around us working on that, which doesn't mean that we completely shun those people away. But it does mean that that sense of community becomes even more important. The Buddha did not define this path as a solitary one. So we need to have a good community of, of, of like-minded friends, Kalyanamita, And then we have to do the work of actually practicing with the mind sitting in meditation and giving rise to, to good, wholesome qualities. Some of those qualities we're familiar with. In fact, we even talked about uh, some of them today in terms of, of metta, in terms of, of goodwill, uh, loving kindness. And we know that we have uh, these sublime attitudes that we can, we can work on. And they're not just, they're not just words. They're not just things that we say to ourselves to feel better and they're not you know words that we, we say out loud to the universe to again, hopefully feel better. that they are in themselves good determinations, good attitudes that have an effect on what we do in our thoughts, our words, and our actions, or our bodily actions. And so they, they actually have a, a real effect. And then beyond that, we can talk about the perhaps more more mystical side of it is that, you know, when, the way one of my teachers puts it is that it, out in the world, sometimes people are in, a, are in a position to appreciate the good you're sending out, the, these good determinations, these good attitudes that you have. And it's hard to say how they know, you know, uh, but sometimes some people are, are aware or they feel it in some way or... You know, you'd be you'd be surprised that you can put a, an intention out into the world, and it might actually make someone, or rather, help someone, help themselves. It might might give them some uh, extra energy that day. I remember one time, one of my teachers was was ill, and many of us got together just to like send him thoughts of of goodwill, send him thoughts of of metta and it could be easy to just look at that and go all right that's like that's basically prayer like what effect could it have but then my teacher will be the same one to say that like having students out there wishing goodwill like that and practicing together as a community so heartily with so much intention uh inspired him to like be a better teacher and to like be healthy and want to live longer and he goes like you know you want to ensure your teacher lives a long time make sure to keep practicing you know <laughs> and so we can see like the real world effects of these of these attitudes that we give ourselves and i think in them too we, we see what the buddha had in mind with talking about about sukha in one of the uh, the chants that we that we do on on loving kindness we can see all the way through what what it means to be happy in this path and I'll only I'll only chant a little bit of it and then offer translation uh, because I, I think it's important to hear how much in at least my Buddhist tradition we talk about this quality of Sukha so and one part in speaking to, in, in sending this energy out to all people, we can say Sabe Sata sukita Hontu May all living beings be happy Sabe Sata avera Hontu May all living beings be free from animosity. may all living beings be free from oppression. aniga hontu. May all living beings be free from trouble. sata suki pariharantu. May all living beings look after themselves with ease and this is something that we do not only for other people but for ourselves. We have these determinations, these good desires, wholesome desires that we practice on. We really do want to be happy, to be free from animosity, to be free from oppression, to be free from trouble. And then this last part is really important. May all living beings look after themselves with ease. Again, this is a translation that this person chose with to translate Suki, uh, Suki, or sukkah as ease, but it can mean happiness. So we can say here then that may all living beings look after themselves with happiness. So we can say again that it's with happiness that we look after ourselves. That's what we're developing as we liberate the mind. When we free ourselves from oppression, that's what we're doing. We're liberating ourselves. We're living in a state in Sangsada of oppression. We don't recognize that we're oppressed. You know, and that's a strong way to put it. We don't think about the, the oppression of the hindrances, the oppression of the effluence, this constant reaching outward, constantly trying to grab at things and hold on to them, clinging and craving. That's what the, the Buddha says is, is holding us down, oppressing us. And so we look for an inner spring of happiness. So in this time of happiness and joy and, and merriment, I hope that we can then work on our inner jolliness and see that as the gift that it is, the gift that we give to ourselves and the gift that we give to others through our actions. So I will end my talk there. Thank you for listening.